listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a message from our Young Adults Pastor, Dylan Young. It's sunny and warm outside. No, we're, we're out of Ecclesiastes. We're not depressed anymore, okay? Uh, <laughs> no, I loved Ecclesiastes, Connor. Um, but y'all, tonight, hopefully you recognized the couple of verses that Kendall just read to us, our benediction that we declare together every time we gather at the end, that we walk out um, saying together. Um, and you may be even kind of wondering, like, why do, we, why do we do that thing? Like, what is a, a benediction, if you will? And Really simply, it just comes from the word, it's a, it's a word that just means blessing. So it's a blessing from me to you as your pastor as we leave. It's a blessing for you to each other um, to hopefully kind of center us as we leave and inspire us as we walk out these doors together. That's why we do a benediction in the first place. Um, it's not just so we have this concluding thing each time we get together. Um, and, and our benediction in this ministry it came along before I was ever involved in the young adult ministry. And after I had led you guys through it a few times, I asked Connor, I'm like, where does this benediction come from? Like, who, who wrote this? Where did, who came up with it? And he's like, Dylan, it's, it's Hebrews. It's the Bible. I was like, great, totally. I was just, I was asking you, making sure you knew Connor, like me, the guy with the fancy, you know, master's degree, um, didn't recognize scripture that I've been reciting to you guys every week. But um, Hebrews 13 is one of the passages that people will use from time to time as a benediction. There are other ones that people use. Number six is one of them that you're probably familiar with because it was made into a song called The Blessing that you've probably all sung before. Um, but Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, that's the one that has been chosen for this ministry. And y'all, it is rich, <laughs> It's two verses, but man, there is so, so much packed into these two verses that is significant for us. And we wanted to make sure that uh, everybody knows what we're saying when we declare this benediction over our lives each time that we, that we leave each other. We don't want it just to be this uh, pithy saying or just something pleasant that we say as we walk out the door. We want it to be full of meaning. And I don't want it to be uh, something that you actually believe for your life. So we're going to take tonight and our last gathering of the semester to kind of go on a deep dive on these two verses. I don't know if it makes you nervous when I say we're covering two verses in two weeks or not, but that's where we're going tonight and the next time we get together. So before we jump into our passage for the night, before we take this deep dive, let me pray over our night and ask that God might bless our time. God, that's, that's what we need tonight. We need you to enlighten us. God, would you open our eyes that we might see wondrous things in your word. Lord, I don't come with any words of wisdom or compelling speech, but God, I come in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you might fill this room with your presence, that you might fill each of us with yourself, so that we might understand your word rightly and live in light of it. God, we love you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, little bit of background just on the whole book of Hebrews as we jump into literally two of the last five verses of the book. Um, we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's debated. We, we don't know who did it. Some say it was Paul. There's a lot of stuff in here that sounds like Paul. He wrote a lot of the other books of the Bible. That would make sense. 
Um, some even think it could be a, a woman who wrote this one, which would be really interesting. And the, the book is anonymous. The author is anonymous on the book, and that's part of the argument for that, just that if it was a woman that wrote it, for it to be considered an authoritative letter like this, she would have needed to keep that a secret, that she was a woman. Now, I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that's how it was. Um, and and there's even, there is a masculine reference somewhere in the text, and people say, well, that could be just a cover-up um, that she was a woman that wrote it. Uh, regardless, we believe it's the, the God-breathed word, and we still we study it the same way. We, we revere it the same way, regardless of who wrote it, um, because God has kept it in the canon of Scripture for centuries. Um, the timing of this letter is also not perfectly clear exactly when it was written, but I came across what I felt like it was kind of a compelling argument on when this was written as I was studying for this night. Uh, the, the temple was destroyed, I believe, in AD 70. And there's, there's one idea that this letter was written to the followers of Jesus after the temple is destroyed. They've been spread out. They're facing persecution. They're trying to figure out what does worshiping God look like without a temple? Like we've never had to do this before. Well, how, do, how do we even go about worshiping God in this whole new reality we're living in? And the, the writer here, the, the argument is that he's saying, okay, you gotta learn how just to worship Jesus. Like you don't need this temple anymore. You don't need the sacrifices. You don't need all those things anymore because Jesus has come and fulfilled them all. That may be the case. Um, now, again, regardless, we, we know that the people, they're, they're under persecution. They're trying to figure out how to live in difficulty because over and over again, the writer of Hebrews gives him this encouragement to endure. Over and over again, we see that word in this letter. So we know that these people are under some hardship of some sort. Now, the dominant theme of this letter is no doubt that Christ is greater than Whatever you want to finish that sentence with, this writer is trying to get you to believe Christ is greater than any of it. He is greater than angels, he says in chapter one. He's greater than the priest or the high priest. He's greater than all of them. He's greater than this new covenant that he brings about by his own blood, this new agreement that he's made between God and man, the peace that comes with that. It's a greater covenant than God has ever made with, with people before, and it's so good that it's everlasting, the word says. There, there will never be another covenant after it because it is so much greater than. And what our benediction does for us is it kind of gives us in two sentences, all of Hebrews packed into two sentences. It takes kind of chapters one through 10 and a half and packs them into verse 20. And then the last few chapters, we shove those into verse 21. And there's, there's so, so, so much meaning. I mean, y'all, we could spend all summer um, walking through these things. But, um, so let's walk real slow. We're just gonna get to verse 20 tonight. And it's this, it's this big kind of theological statement. Lots of things about God and, and coming on the backside, lots of things about Jesus and who he is and what his blood does for us. So we're gonna walk real slow, phrase by phrase, through this benediction that we declare each night so that we walk out at the end of the night <laughs> knowing what we're saying about God and ourselves and how we relate to him. So the very beginning, verse 20, chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 20, just says, now may the God of peace, and we could even stop at now may the God. We could stop right there because God is the beginning. He is the end of everything that we do, of everything that there ever has been. Like that is what, if we don't start an end there, we're in a lot of trouble. 
when it comes to reading scripture, when it comes to trying to follow Jesus. We start there, and, and I told this team, Connor and Carrie, when I, when I first came into this position that, and I'm not perfect at this by any means, but one of my commitments to them and one of my commitments to you is that we will not make plans and then ask God to bless those plans. And that is really, really what we're trying to do with this ministry. We're going to first seek God and his will, and then we're going to trust that he'll guide us as we plan and dream what this young adult ministry could look like. And I, and I want you to know that from me and from our team, that, that, is, that is what we're trying to do. And we don't get it right all the time, but that is truly our heart. And it's because, y'all, God's not like on our team, right? Like we're on God's team. There's a, there's a passage that I came across in my own reading recently. It's when Joshua is leading the people of Israel, and I told our volunteers this a couple of weeks ago. He comes across this, uh, uh, in a messenger of the Lord, a warrior of the Lord. It's this man holding a sword, and Joshua doesn't really, he thinks he's just a man. He thinks he's just a guy that's ready to fight. And he comes up to this man and he says, who are you with? Are you with us or are you with our enemies? Who are you fighting for? And this warrior of the Lord, his answer is neither. I love that response. And Joshua falls to his knees because he realizes who he's in the presence of. Because y'all, we are not, uh, God is not on our side. We are on God's side. And we let him lead the way and we let him be our shepherd as we see here in the text in just a few moments. May we humble ourselves even at those first four words every time we declare this benediction over our lives. We are on God's side. And he calls him the God of peace here. Why does he call him that God of peace? Like that, he's not called that particularly often. This has to be intentional why he chooses that name for him here. I think it's because of where he's going with Jesus. I think it's because uh, a reminder as we end the book of Hebrews here of, man, this is what all of history has been working towards. Like since Adam and Eve in the garden, when sin entered the picture, there was this space, there was this separation, there was this lack of peace between God and man, right? And that's what all of history is working towards is to bring us back into communion with God. And we can have that through Jesus and this is a really different kind of peace than you're going to find with any other little g God out there. Any other religion, any other faith, any other God that you can pursue, it's going to be a situation where you find yourself constantly working to earn that God's favor and never really knowing if you have it, never really knowing if you have peace with God. And that, y'all, that's... That's not how our God wants us to live. That's not peace. There, there's no assurance of peace ever in a life seeking after anybody other than the God of the Bible because that is not the case with our God. He wants us to experience peace with him because instead of us trying to buy his peace, and us, and instead of us trying to earn peace from God, he actually buys it and brings it to us, right? Because he, he wants peace with us. And I hope you'll, you'll take a moment to kind of realize the, the gravity of that. Like the God of the universe wants to be at peace with you. But we know that scripture tells us that sin, actually the words it uses is it makes us enemies of God. 
And that doesn't sound great, but here's what I want you to hear. God doesn't view you as an enemy that he needs to defeat and conquer. That's sin. Sin is that enemy. Satan is that enemy. But if you're, if you're not working on his side, you are against him in a sense, right? But here's the deal. He doesn't view you as an enemy to defeat. He views you as an enemy that he wants to turn into an ally. He wants to bring you into the fold. He wants to be your shepherd because he loves you. And he wants you to experience this abundant life that comes with him. He wants you to experience the peace of God that comes from finding peace with God. It's a peace that you're not going to find any other place other than with the God of peace. How do we go about finding that peace? We're figuring it out as we work through here. Move down to the next phrase in verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus. He brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus. Y'all, this is the moment. This is the point in history that everything else hinges on, is the resurrection of Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. And I want you to hear that loud and clear because I was at a conference last week for pastors and there was a statistic that I learned at that conference about Gen Z. Here's the, this is the stat. Of Generation Z who, who calls themselves Christians, 61% believe that Jesus was crucified. 61% of people that call themselves Christians believe Jesus was crucified. 50% believe he was raised from the dead. I hope those numbers are alarming to you. Like I hope that makes you uncomfortable, makes you squirm in your seat a little bit to hear that there's somebody that would call themselves a follower of Jesus but doesn't even believe he was raised from the dead. There, there are so many problems there. For one, it's a lack of trust in what the word of God says. That they've, they've been sold a gospel that is not what we find in scripture. And unfortunately, they've believed it. They've believed a lesser gospel than the one that we find in scripture. And, and y'all, if there's no resurrection, Scripture itself tells us, if, that, if that's not true, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are above all people to be pitied because we're living for a lie. But we believe the resurrection is reality, right? Because without the resurrection, there is no everlasting covenant that Hebrews is talking about right here. Without the resurrection, we're still under this sacrificial system that we still should be operating in. Without the resurrection, Jesus is not the king he claimed to be. Without the resurrection, y'all, we're, we're in a world of her because Jesus was just another wannabe prophet. At best, he was a lunatic who believed himself to be God and when he really wasn't. At worst, he knew he wasn't God and he was lying to us. Those are the realities without the resurrection. And honestly, without the resurrection, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to tell you to look for life if not for the resurrection. Y'all, may that statistic not be true of this group. Please, if you don't hear anything else tonight, please hear that Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, you have freedom. You have freedom from your sin because that resurrection is real because we can trust now, if we can't trust the word of God, then we, get, we got nothing. We just got me up here talking. 
Like that's not gonna save anybody. We trust this word and it tells us that Jesus rose from the dead and that is really, really good news. That the God of peace rose Jesus from the dead. He goes on to tell us as we keep reading, he rose our Lord Jesus from the dead and he calls him the great shepherd of the sheep. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but all throughout scripture, if, you, if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of God, you are a sheep. And you'll hear pastors all the time talk about how that's not like a real flattering thing for scripture to call us because sheep are not the most intelligent. And that's true. I really believe that. I heard J.D. Greer say it this way, that God lost trust in our decision-making ability all the way back in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> and, and we refer to as sheep. Yeah, I lost confidence. Some of y'all have talked to me about this already. I lost confidence in my son's decision-making ability uh, Sunday night. Now, we don't have a dog, so he's innocent in this, but we found my son, he had something in his mouth. Boone, he's 20 months. No, and we give him a break, but... He's got something in his mouth and Rachel goes to pull it out of his mouth and y'all, it's dog food. And we're like, son, this is not, this was literally in a bowl on the floor and that can't taste good. Like you, we can't get you to eat cake, but you'll eat dog food. Uh, that was like, wow, we've got, <laughs> this guy needs a shepherd, right? Uh, he, he needs somebody to show him how to live this life. Uh, but y'all hear me. We may be sheep in scripture, but we don't have a God who is looking down on us like, golly, Dylan, what a dummy. Like, why do you keep messing up this way? Like, that's not the picture of a shepherd that we see in the Bible. He paints a very different picture of a shepherd in scripture. We see shepherds as people who will do anything for their flock. We see shepherds as people who want to protect their flock and guide them and show them where food is and do whatever they have to do to keep this flock safe. And that's the type of shepherd we see in Jesus. But he gives us this picture all throughout scripture leading up to Jesus. Think about it. Moses was a shepherd before he led the, the Israelites through the Exodus. King David was a shepherd out watching the sheep, the sheep before he goes and kills Goliath. And I think this is really interesting. King Saul, who came before David, not a great king. What was his occupation before he became king? He was a donkey herder. I think that's interesting that he has this totally different occupation and we see really different results under his kingship. And you know, this, this word pastor in the New Testament just means shepherd. Like that's, that's how I'm supposed to view myself for you. But what do we know is the problem with that system? Like if, if I'm the best shepherd you've got, then you're in trouble because I'm gonna let you down. Any pastor that you ever come across at some point is going to let you down. I may have already done it for you. And if I have, I'm sorry. I'd, honestly, I'd love to hear about it so I can try to make things right with you. But y'all, a, a human shepherd, a human pastor is always going to let you down at times, you can't put your faith in me. My job as your shepherd is to point you to the great shepherd. That's my job. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna love you and care for you as best as I can, but my job is to point you to Jesus because he's the one who's always going to take the best care of you. He loves you perfectly. He cares for you perfectly. And I, I think it's maybe kind of funny that 
Hebrews refers to him as the great shepherd here. I wonder, this is totally speculation, but in John, Jesus refers to himself as what? The good shepherd. Now there's probably some Greek and Hebrew there that totally nullifies what I'm about to say. But I wonder if the writer of Hebrews thought, man, Jesus was being way too humble when he called himself the good shepherd. No, 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 Jesus, you are a great shepherd. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants to guide you through life. And you're probably familiar with Psalm 23, talking about Jesus being our shepherd. And this is the type of life that Jesus wants to shepherd you into. Like there's no way you can hear this and be like, yeah, I don't want that. This is the type of life that any of us would take. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Y'all, the great shepherd will never speak unkindly to you. He will never tell something that you told him in confidence. He's never going to talk bad about you to somebody else. He's never gonna be unfaithful to you. He's never gonna misuse your money. Jesus will never do any of those things. Human shepherds, under shepherds will. We're all sinful and fallible, but Jesus will never do those things for you. We know he will always do what is best for us because he already has. He already did it when he laid down his life for us, right? And this life that we're reading about in Psalm 23, next time we get together, we're gonna talk about what this life shepherded by Jesus actually looks like, how we ought to live actually in light of what we're talking about today. But for now, we can know that we can trust the shepherd because he's also, now he's not just the great shepherd. What do we know he also is? He is the lamb. In a great twist, he is the shepherd and he is the lamb. Continue reading verse 20 with me. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. How does that happen? Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. There is, if you were to spend time reading all of Hebrews over the next few days, you would find so much talk of covenant. And we could spend hours and hours talking about this idea of covenant. Throughout history, we see God making covenants with people that are bought, that are sealed with blood. And we, we see that happening again and again. And in the Cliff Notes version of all that is, again, back in the garden with Adam and Eve, there's been an animal sacrifice always necessary to atone for our sin, right? That, that was the case from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. If we fast forward, we find ourselves in a, in a priestly system and we're like it was in the first century where um, there's, there are constantly sacrifices being made by the priests in this priestly system on behalf of the people. And there's even what you're probably familiar with, the Day of Atonement. So this one day of the year where there's a special sacrifice made, the high priest once a year goes into the Holy of Holies, where the, the presence of God dwells and he makes atonement for the people through blood. That's, that's the system that the people have found themselves in. And remember, they might not have a, a temple anymore, so they're trying to figure out how this works. But there's, a, there's an obvious problem with the system, right? 
The problem is the priest is sinful himself. Like he's got to go through this whole process to get himself ready to be, to be able to go into the presence of God without it killing him. Like over and over again, we're going to have to do this forever. And he's going to have to go to the day of atonement next year and the year after that and the year after that. And it never ends. Enter Jesus. Enter this new covenant that Hebrews 8 describes. Hebrews 8 verse 8 says this. See, here's, this is the new covenant. This is the covenant Jesus bought for us. See, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and I will never again remember their sins. This covenant is everlasting. This covenant is permanent because this covenant is bought and sealed with the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. And it's such an interesting agreement here, if you will, an interesting covenant so think about, think about how all of this reads. Like if we just read this plainly, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, that's, this, that phrase in my mind is kind of the centerpiece of this whole benediction because it points us to a past power that raised Jesus from the dead and it also points us to future ramifications for how we're going to live our lives through the power of this blood, through the blood of this covenant, through the blood of Jesus. And, and notice, notice how it reads. Through Jesus' blood, God raised Jesus from the dead. As God raised Jesus from the dead through the blood of the eternal covenant. Like that's, it could almost make your head hurt if you try to think about it too long. Through Jesus' blood, God raised Jesus from the dead. But these, these were the terms of the covenant. This, this is the blood that was part of the agreement. And since Jesus' blood so perfectly atoned for our sin, God keeps this out of the agreement and raises Jesus from the dead, defeating sin once and for all. All the other covenants, all the other systems that the people have had, they're temporary. And they're temporary because there's always been one side of the agreement that couldn't keep their end of the deal. Because these covenants have always been with God and with man, and man, constantly, man is constantly having to atone for the ways that they screw up the covenant, right? But not anymore, because God says, okay, look, let's make a new covenant. I know you're not going to be able to hold up your end of the bargain, so here's what I'll do. We'll, we'll seal this covenant with the blood of who? Himself, <laughs> through his son. He says, I'll, I'll be the one who saves and I'll be the one who holds the covenant together. He takes both sides of it for us. And all we have to do is agree and trust Jesus to be the one who saves us from our sins through this covenant. This covenant is everlasting. This covenant is everlasting. The great shepherd, he became the once and for all sacrificial lamb. Oh, there, there's only one God who is willing to become the sheep in order to be your shepherd. And his name's Jesus. There's only one who does that. There's only one who's willing to humble himself to the position of a sheep in order to be 
your shepherd. Man, would you take him up on the offer? Because you see, for all of us, we'll always be sheep. We'll always be sheep. God designed it that way, and that's a good thing. Think about it. From the beginning of your life, you need a, a person taking care of you. At the end of your life, you may move into some kind of assisted living home. It's all a picture, if you will, of like, man, we always need somebody to help us along the way, physically and spiritually. Look, the, the greatest leaders in all of the Bible, the greatest leaders you could ever come across, they all need God leading them the way. Like God never leaves, leaves the picture and says, all right, you got this one. You handle this situation. That's not how God operates. He always stays by your side because he knows that we always need a shepherd. But I would imagine there are probably some of you who live life in a mindset, and this, this mindset is not necessarily bad, but it's hard for you to ask for help. Maybe even more than that, it's hard for you to admit the fact that maybe you need a savior. And I, and I hope you're seeing that there are some flaws in this way of, of thinking. Maybe, maybe the idea of being a sheep, of being labeled that way, maybe that seems weak to you. That's not something that appeals to you. And, here, and here's what I want you to hear. I just want you to consider how that mindset plays out for you spiritually. Pastor Robbie, you may know one of his, one of his nicknames that if you've been around long enough, you've probably heard is Hobby Robbie, right? Like if you can come up with it, he's tried it. I guarantee you he'll be playing pickleball soon. Disc golf, kayak fishing, woodworking, bird watching, probably didn't know that one. Anything, he's tried it. He is Hobby Robbie. I don't know how in the world he keeps up with all of it. And when they moved into their home a few years ago, he decided to try the new hobby of animals. You may remember there were all kinds of sermon illustrations that came from the Galaty Farm. And I don't know how many animals they ever got up to, but they had all kinds of, they had a mini cow. They had all kinds of dogs in the house and out in the field. They had goats, they had ducks, there, were, there was all sorts of stuff out on this land. And of course, he had sheep. And unfortunately, there was a day where one of the neighbor's dogs got into their fence and Pastor Robbie wasn't out there. The shepherd wasn't out in the field. And this dog is chasing the animals around, these unsuspecting animals who are just minding their own business. And the sheep don't know what to do. As we talked about, they're, they're not the most intelligent animals. The sheep don't know what to do. They just know they need to run. They don't stick together. They don't have a plan. They, they don't know what to do other than just run. And they're running aimlessly. And the sad part of the story is that one of their sheep is running so fast and running with no direction and ends up running into their wooden fence and it breaks her neck and she dies. And y'all, that may feel like a harsh story right there, but here's what I want you to hear. Man, if you don't have a shepherd... You're, you're running aimlessly through life. Running from addiction, running from depression, running from stress and anxiety, running from feeling like you're never gonna be good enough, running from whatever it is that you find in your life. And I'm telling you, if you don't have a good shepherd leading the way for you, there's gonna come a day where you hit a wall and you're not gonna know what to do with yourself. And I hope in that moment you will remember that there's a shepherd there waiting to lead you into greener pastures. And you can change all of that tonight. 
You can change all of that tonight. You can, would you acknowledge, would you embrace the fact that you're a sheep and you need a shepherd? Man, would you turn to the great shepherd who is never gonna steer you wrong? Would you believe that and would you trust it and would you leave tonight in the freedom of knowing that you have a good shepherd leading the way for you? Would you listen to that voice? A a repeated phrase in Hebrews is, when you hear that voice, don't harden your heart. Y'all, I imagine that shepherd is, is knocking on the door of some of your lives right now and there's a voice and maybe you're trying to block it out. Man, I would beg you to listen to that voice of that shepherd and let him lead you, man. Let him lead you into salvation. Let him lead you into a good life today and for eternity. Because here's how, here's how Jesus describes his sheep back in John 10. He said, my sheep, they hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's, it's present tense. It's today. They follow me today. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Y'all, that is a good shepherd. It's a great shepherd. So, I mean, I would just beg you to embrace the reality that you're a sheep because here's, here's the cool part of what happens when you're actually a sheep. You, you're a sheep, but man, you're more than that in the eyes of the great shepherd, in the eyes of Jesus. Here's how John Piper describes the life of a sheep following the great shepherd. He says, and those, are, those who are happy to be sheep and who hear the voice of the great shepherd, and all these descriptions come straight from scripture. Those who are happy to be sheep and who hear the voice of the great shepherd calling them and who follow him as their only hope and trust in this sacrifice on their behalf, those sheep are now and always will be more than sheep. They are children of God, heirs of the universe, co-rulers with the king of kings. They are the bride of Christ. Y'all, being a sheep and following the good shepherd, it's not so bad when you look at it that way. When you realize the other titles, when you realize the way Jesus looks at you when you're part of his flock. And y'all, I know, I know that tonight is kind of a fun night because we have some, some merch that we're releasing and, and it has this benediction on it and that's, that's fun. And I'm really excited we're doing that as a ministry. But could I encourage you, if... Jesus is not your shepherd. If that's not how you view him, if you don't look to him for your salvation, if you don't look to Jesus to try to figure out how to live this life, man, don't buy a shirt. Don't buy that shirt and just because it's cool or you like the design or whatever, don't buy that shirt. What you need to do tonight is instead do business with the shepherd. That's what you need to do tonight. Ignore the merch, ignore all of it. Get your life right with the shepherd. But if you do see him as your shepherd, if you do wear the shirt, if you do declare this with us every time we end a gathering, man, I want you to know what you're saying. And I want you to be all in on what we're declaring as a ministry, as a body of believers, as people trying to follow Jesus well. Y'all, when we, when we declare these words to each other, we're calling each other to a higher standard. Like we're saying we're gonna live a life together that, that matches what the shepherd would want us to live. Right? We're, we go out every day as an ambassador of that great shepherd that we just spoke about. Those words are a reminder to you that when you step out the door in the morning, you not only represent this ministry and Long Hollow and your family, but you represent the king. 
So all of your thoughts and your actions and your words, all of those things need to be shepherded by that king. These words that we declare, y'all, we're declaring that we are a group of people who live our lives in light of, the, in light of what we read here, that we have found peace with God through the blood of the great shepherd. Let's pray together. Y'all, I do want to take just a moment, man. If there's, if there's anybody in here who has never let Jesus be the shepherd of your life, if you have never looked at him in that way, if you have never looked to Jesus to save you from your sins or to guide you from your life, and you want that tonight, if that's what you want to leave tonight saying, if you want to be able to say this benediction in a moment and it be true of your life, would you raise your hand so that I can see it and so that I can pray for you? Because, man, we want to we wanna follow up and we want to we help you do this. Because, <laughs> man, we're all trying to figure this thing out together. And don't be, don't be shy to tell that to somebody later. Like, that's, we're all in this thing together. All come from a place of sin and needing a Savior. Man, we're all in the same boat. So, man, if you need to talk to me later, if you need to talk to, like, don't leave. If that's something you need to deal with, don't leave tonight without grabbing somebody and talking to them about it, okay? Like, be, be willing to humble yourself to that point in order to get right with the great shepherd. Father, we pray tonight as we leave that you would be exactly who you say you are, that you would be a great shepherd who never lets us down, who leads us into green pastures and by still waters, who loves us perfectly and who is going to protect us in every situation that life throws at us. God, thank you for being that good shepherd. Thank you for buying us with your blood. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray it all in Jesus' name.